welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Saturday the 18th of February 2012, entitled Survey on Bible Prophecy, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Matthew chapter number 24. You know, it's, it's very difficult in a... Uh, in three days to try to bring together and culminate everything that's going to take place in what we would consider the day of the Lord. Now, when you hear the term the day of the Lord, it's used 18 times in the book of Zechariah. Basically, the day of the Lord is a period of time. It's kind of like we say we live in the day of computers, the day of modern technology. It's not one day. It's a culmination of a bunch of days. Basically, that's what the day of the Lord is. Uh, the day of the Lord is a period of time that is actually 1,007 years long, okay? goes all the way back to the rapture of the church. We talked about that. Got a little ring. Back to the, the rapture of the church. And yes, yesterday evening, I started over here, and it prob- you probably thought I had dyslexia because we normally don't, if we're, unless we're Jewish, we don't go from, you know, from, what is it? We read from right to left. We read from left to right. Or, yeah, left to right. You know, Hebrew is from right to left. So I went the wrong way. So we'll start over here, okay? Over here is the rapture, all right? Then you have a seven-year period, and then you've got what we call the revelation and glory. That is found in Zechariah chapter number 14, where it says that Jesus will physically come back, set his feet on the Mount of Olives. What's intriguing about this, Pastor Liz, is what we're going to read this morning is basically the recounting of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples from the Mount of Olives. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but there was many years ago where uh, there were a bunch of uh, investors that wanted to build a, uh, a hotel on the top of the Mount of Olives. The developers said you could not do that because there was a fault line in, on the Mount of Olives. Well, I didn't need any newspaper or uh, geographer to tell me that. I've got the Word of God. It says that literally when Jesus Christ comes back, Dave, he'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives and it'll split asunder in two. And listen, folks, that revelation is when Jesus Christ will physically come back to the earth. All right? In the rapture, we go to him. But in the revelation, he comes down and physically comes to earth and we'll be with him, uh, the armies of God riding white horses. And so... I want you to look at Matthew chapter number 24. I want you to jump two verses up and look at verse uh, chapter 23, and we'll start our reading in verse number 37. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and he speaks to his disciples, and he says these words, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Young people, you ought to take really good count of, of a study of the city of Jerusalem. It is God's city, God's covenant people. Matter of fact, we're gonna, we're gonna have access to the new Jerusalem. John Revelation chapter number 21, it says, And saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Literally, folks, we're going to be a New Jerusalem, Jesus Christ. Right now, we live in what we call a, 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 a democracy in America. I don't call it that. Because it's really not. It's not anymore like it used to be. But now we live in a democracy, but one of these days it's going to go back to the way it was and there'll be a theocracy where God himself shall rule. And uh, the desert will bloom with blossom. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And it'll be, listen, it'll be unlike anything that we have witnessed or experienced while we've been here on this earth. Because it'll be a new earth. 
All right? So I want you to look. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Great study about this city. We'll go. I don't have time to go into it all, but you ought to do a, a brief survey of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it's God's city. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, e uh, as, uh, children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Now, basically what Jesus is saying is this. You've had every opportunity to hear the truth. I have sent, listen, you have killed those that, I, that were sent unto you. You've stoned them that were bringing the gospel, that were giving you the message. But yet, you know what? You wouldn't, and, and, and I'm trying to gather you together. Even as a mother hen gathers her chickens under her wings, her little chicklet under her wings, and you would not. Look at verse number 38. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's basically getting ready to predict the destruction of their pride and joy, the temple of Solomon. Now, you say, preacher, how do you get that? Because of what's going to happen in chapter number 24. Look down at verse number 1. It says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Basically, as Jesus leaves, now he is at the temple site at this point. He leaves the temple site, and as he's leaving, his disciples want to turn him around and say, Hey, listen a minute. You said our house is going to be left unto us desolate. What do you mean by that? Look at the pride and joy. Look at our beautiful, beautiful building. And I'm going to tell you something, young people. All of you go to a church, I'm pretty sure that are in this building. But can I say this? The church that you go to is not the body of Christ. The church is a building. You are the church. That, that, that building you go to is not the church. You are the church. Okay? So he said, listen, they turn Jesus around and they say, look at our beautiful temple. And, and, and he says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, what he's doing is he's predicting what they don't know. This is 33 A.D., Dave. They don't know that 40 years from then, after this, there's going to come a man on the scene by the name of Titus, who is a Roman ruler, who goes and besieges Jerusalem and takes that city, but he tells his soldiers, do not burn the temple. I want that as a trophy in my case. But you know what? They get in such a frenzied state, young people, that they go into the city in 70 A.D. and they do exactly what their ruler told them not to do. Titus said, don't do it. Hey, they, listen, what they did was they went in and did it. They started burning the temple of, uh, of Solomon. And as they burnt that temple, guess what happened? The Jews thought so much of their temple that they made their temple with literally pure gold. They lined the mortar joints of their temple with pure gold. All those bricks that were on top of each other had pure gold inlaid in between those bricks. And what happens when you put fire or heat to gold? It melts. Guess what? When the temple began to burn, literally gold was oozing out of the mortar joints and running down the walls. And guess what those soldiers did? They did what I'm getting ready to read to you. Look at verse number 2. And Jesus said unto you, said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you. Now, can I ask you something? How many times does Jesus have to say something for it to be true? One time. Now, look at what he says. Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, think about this. This was said in 33 A.D. Jesus looks at them and says, Your house is going to be left unto you desolate. In other words, your temple is going to be destroyed. That thing that you're up there, you're worshiping, and you're so proud of, 
Can I say this? Listen, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And you can have a beautiful building, but if God ain't there, it's not His house. It's just your house. All right? He says, your house is left unto you desolate. And then he says, there will not be one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down. You know what Jesus just did? Jesus predicted exactly what would happen almost 40 years later when those soldiers burnt the temple and they literally turned with sheer human force every stone off of one another to scoop up the gold to take back to Titus. Now, young people, let me say something. If Jesus says it, you can take it to the bank. It will happen. Now, I want you to look at verse number 3. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, guess what? They asked him basically three questions right there. They said, tell us when, these shall, shall, when shall these things be? What they're asking is this. Lord, we want you. And, and, and who's he talking to right here? Come on now, talk to me, class. Huh? The disciples. All right, he's talking to his disciples. What nationality, what ethnicity are his disciples? Jewish. All right, now remember that because that's going to be very, very important. Because see, what we do sometimes is, Brother Leonard, we want to take some portion of Scripture and we want to lift it out of its context. And we want to, because you know what? It might sound real good, but if it's not contextual, it's wrong. If you don't listen, if you don't read the Bible and study the Bible in its context, you can lift any verse of Scripture you want out of its context and make it mean anything you want it to mean. So you've got to study the Bible in its historical, grammatical, and in its context. All right? So Jesus said this. He said, there will be a time when there will not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And the disciples looked at him, young people, and said, when shall these things be? You know what they wanted to know, Panos? When? You're telling us that our temple, this pride and joy that we have built... Where the listen, the walls were overlaid with pure gold, huh? You gotta listen. You think a lot of your house if you overlay your walls with pure gold. They said, "You're telling us that our temple's gonna be destroyed. We want to know when that's gonna happen. When shall these things be?" And then they ask another two questions. Said, "And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world?" Now, guess what, young people. He don't even answer their first question. He says, I'm going to show you how much I think about that temple. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is where God's people, that's where the high priest went, that's where the Holy of Holies was, and that's where God resided, the Shekinah glory cloud that rested upon the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat. But I'm telling you this, folks. He said, I'm going to tell you how much that means. It means nothing because I'm going to answer the next two questions. What shall be the sign of thy coming in the world? Now, I want you to look at this timeline. Last night, we talked about the rapture. That is an aspect of the second coming, but it's not a physical, literal second coming to the earth. He's coming halfway into clouds. Now, I, the, 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 the next event after that seven-year period is called the revelation in glory. That is the revealing. By the way, this is not a mystery. Okay, there's a lot of people that say the book of Revelation is mysterious. No, it's called Revelation. What is Revelation? It is a revealing. 
God didn't give us a mystical book. He gave us a revealed book. All right? So this book, will, and we're going to look at a few things this morning before we go to the, 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 the open air market and, 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 and do some witnessing. We're going to look at some things that are not mysteries. They are revealed unto us. Okay? All right? Now, he said, you know, what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? I think a lot of people have a, have that. that's a noble question in this day. What is going to be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? Well, let me ask y'all a question. I don't know how it is in the, United, in, in the UK, but in the United States of America, let me make you, give you a couple statistics. All right, this is just in my country. Do you understand in the last 10 years in my country alone, listen, rape among most of your major cities in America has gone up 800, listen to this now, 800%. Do you know in America, listen, just in my country alone, that we kill in the uh, estimated number of about 4,500 lives a week in the name of choice. God didn't call it choice. God called it murder. And let me say something, young ladies. I want all of you to listen to me and young men. It is, listen, it is a life. It is not a fetus. It begins at conception, not at birth. And you know what? Listen, God told David, you are fearfully, awesomely, and wonderfully made. God did not, listen, God didn't create junk, and you are special to God. And listen, we want to try to just relabel everything. God calls sin, sin. Can I say that again? God calls sin, sin. He don't say it's relativism. It ain't what's right for you may not be right for me. No, what the Bible says is right is right, and what the Bible says is wrong is wrong. Amen? Or y'all are awake this morning, say amen. All right, good. But here's the, listen, here's the point. He said, your house is left unto you desolate. And then, and then he goes on to say, there shall not be one stone left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. He predicts the very destruction of the temple of Solomon. And then he goes on, and you know what I think? I think the, final, the disciples finally got it, Brother Leonard. And they said, you know what? I believe he can give us some enlightenment about what's going on. They said, tell us when these, shall, these things shall be. We want to know when this is going to happen. He didn't answer that question, but he does answer the next two. They said, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. I want you to look at verse number 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, we're looking at this timeline. Everything you see up here doesn't say the opinion of Brian Beaver or Larry Curtis. Every single one of the things that you see in every one of these events have Scripture to back it up. I'm not making this up. This is not mystical. This is a revelation from God. Listen, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is called the rapture of the church. A lot of people have said, well, preacher, I ain't even found that word in the Bible. You want to know why? Because the word ain't in your Bible. I said ain't. I know I did. The word is not in your Bible. However, the Greek word we get... Listen, our English word from is the Greek word rapto. It means to kidnap. It means to seize by force. That's where we get the word rapture from. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. 
snatched. It's what the word means. It means to be seized by force, kidnapped, if you will. Do you understand this, young people? And I've got a vivid imagination, but you know what? Can you imagine driving on the M, whatever it is out here? M, is that the M6? No, M what? 1 to 6, 142. Y'all got, I mean, all of those highways out, all those, those big, big major highways. All right, you're on the highway. Everything gets backed up. Y'all never experienced that, have you? Huh? In America, man, you can sit, you can sit, you can sit and read a novel. You could read a novel driving on the freeway in America. Matter of fact, some people in America read novels while they're driving. And I was driving down the road the other day, and there was a woman driving the, her car with her knee. She had a book on the, on, the, on the front part of it and doing makeup. She was reading and putting makeup on while she is driving. And we wonder why we have fatalities on the highway. Now listen, I was driving down the road, and um, I thought about this one day. What if we got into a major, um, major backup? And it's backed up for miles. And you know, there's people on the highway have an intriguing uh, way of being so patient. Amen? Have you ever encountered anybody on the highway that's impatient? It's, it's almost like, I mean, you know, and, and, and here's what's crazy. Sometimes we encountered it when we lived in Wilmington, and it's kind of like College Road and Chester. I mean, it can get really, really crowded and really, really busy. And on Sunday morning, everybody's trying to go to church, right? Well, you know, you really see what people's true colors are when they get kind of pressed a little bit. And you're driving down the road, and it's real busy, and you know what? Somebody's had a little fender bender up in front of you, and you know what? They've got the cars over to the side, the traffic's backed up, and everybody's beeping their horn because, you know what? You've got to get out of the way, man. We're going to church. We gotta learn about the love of Jesus, so get out of the way. I mean, we are so impatient. But what if we got stopped on this major altercation on the highway, and uh, the guy behind me is not a believer, and he is in a real hurry to go wherever he's going. And I don't know why we get in such a big hurry, because all we're gonna do is hurry to get to the next altercation to where we get backed up for another 40 minutes. So you know what? We need to learn some patience. Amen? <laughs> so you know what? Here we are. We're in this line of cars. It's about a mile and a half long. And he's beeping his horn like we're going to go somewhere. <laughs> and you know, nobody going away. I've had this in my mind. Dave, what if the rapture were to take place right then? And he's up there beeping. Well, the rest of the cars pull off. Mine's still sitting there. You say, why? Because I'm not in it. Now think about this. This guy is as mad as he can be. He's like, what is this guy in front waiting on? He gets out of his car. He walks around. He goes to knock on the window and he goes, what? And you know what? He looks in the driver's side and all that's there is a shirt that's draped over the back part of the seat. My pants are draped over the other thing. There's a shoe on one pedal. There's a shoe on another pedal. And the glasses are laying right in the seat. Because guess what? I ain't going to need these in heaven. Say, preacher, I don't believe that. You better, because that's exactly the way it's going to happen. May I say this? You're not going to take one thing to heaven when the rapture takes place. Not one thing. Because you're going to be clothed with righteousness. You're going to get, be given a white robe. And listen, young people, that rapture... Where did my screen? It don't matter. Press it.
I don't know what happened. Oh, yeah, I do. Does this thing matter? Does that matter? <laughs> Amen. Huh? How about that? <laughs> Does that matter? Huh? Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Anyway, this, the rapture of the church is the next event. Where was I at? The rapture of the church is the next event. Then there'll be a seven-year period. We're going to look at that a little bit here in just a minute. Then the revelation and glory. Then the thousand-year reign of Christ. Then the great white throne judgment. All right, now listen. When the next event happens... What we read last night, he said, don't be soon shaken in mind nor be troubled by letter or word from us as though the day of the Lord is at hand. What had happened when the letter we read last night was somebody had falsified a document that said that the persecutions that the church was going through, that Thessaloniki, thank you, that the church in Thessaloniki was going through the persecutions was literally the tribulation period. And Paul said, listen, don't you be soon shaken. You know that I've taught you the truth, and this is not the tribulation. This is just what God has already said. Listen, young people, my theme verse this week is, in this world you shall have tribulation. You're not exempt from it. Jesus wouldn't exempt from it. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. But Jesus gave us a great, great encouraging word. He said, but be of good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. You want to know why we have victory? Not because we're already victorious on this side, physically speaking. It's because we already have the victory throughout our eternal life. The day that you got saved, you began a victorious life in Christ, not because of the circumstances that you're going through, but because of who you serve. Because Jesus finished it all. Jesus paid it all. And you can have victory in Christ. Now listen, if you're miserable today, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. You're welcome. If you're, listen, if you're miserable and you're unhappy and you're discouraged and you're mad, and listen, if you're saved, I know we have difficult times and we get angry sometimes and we get frustrated, but you know what? Don't walk around the whole time of your Christian life with a sourpuss attitude and this look on your face like somebody has just run over your dog. You know, I'm, you know, we got this look on our face like, you know, I'm just saved and don't ask me again. I'm, I'm happy. Just, just shut up and leave me alone. Oh, but I'm saved. That's the way we act. You know as well as I do, young people, you know exactly I'm telling the truth. There's people that we watch who say they're Christians, but yet, you know what? Their face does not match what their heart's saying. You know, there's people we're going to encounter today and the only way they're going to know that you have something different is not because of what's in your heart but because of what's on your face. Listen, man can't see the heart. Man can only see what's on the outside. That's why we've got to put a joyful countenance on our face. Hey, listen, people ought to know that there's something different because, listen, I know things can't be all perfect in their life, but, man, I can tell there's something different about them. Let me say this, young people. Paul wrote to the church and he said, these things that you're going through is not the day of the Lord. It's not. That day will come, but it can't come except there come a falling away first. Now, I don't have time to go into the study of that. We talked about it just a little bit last night. 
And I needed my Greek friend here, but he'd already went to go get his sister at the bus stop or the train station. But anyway, but, but you know, they, they say that the Greek word for those two words falling away is apostasia. However, the A in front of that makes it a definite article, which means, you know what, let me ask you a question. How many people you know who have fallen away from the faith did it in one day? No, it takes a period of time for people who have, listen, professed that they know something and there's a period of time goes along and they can only hold their breath for so long. You know those kind of people? You can only hold your breath for so long. You make this profession, a false profession, you don't even believe what, what you, said you, you said you believed. And you know what? That's called apostasy. And you fall away from the faith and guess what? That takes a period of time, Brother Lance. But this thing right here, apostasia or falling away, has an A in front of it, which makes it a definite article, which makes it an isolated event. only happens one time. I believe it's the rapture of the church. And when that happens, guess what? There will be a man that's revealed who is the son of perdition, the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which is called the Antichrist, the man of sin, the lawlessness, the lawless one. And young people, let me tell you something. If you think that a government official, anybody in parliament, a president of a country can be deceptive and can be uh, uh, compelling to make you believe anything, you know there was a man by the name of Hitler? Adolf Hitler went through all of Europe in 1940, 1939, and 1940, made all kind of promises to all these nations only to turn around. And they believed him blindly. They just like, oh, this guy's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they believed him, and guess what? He turned right around, marched straight back through those countries, and broke every promise to them. Now, if a human being can have that kind of deceptive power, I want you to think about this. There will come one who is so deceptive that if you don't believe the truth now, if you go into that seven-year period called the tribulation, he'll have you so deceived that you'll believe he is God. Do you know in 1972 they had a summit? And listen, at Camp David in the United States of America, and a man stood up, and listen, they were talking about the peace of Israel. They were talking about peace in the Middle East. They were looking and seeking for peace. And one leader stood up, Brother Les, and he said this. He said, we are yearning for peace. We want peace. And he said, I will follow a man, if he, whether he be God or whether he be devil, I will follow him if he promises peace. That was in 1972. Now let me tell you something. There's one coming that's so deceptive that he's called the lawless one. He's the Antichrist. I've had a lot of people ask me, well, who is the Antichrist? I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. But I can guarantee you this, by what I've read in the Scriptures, by what I read in Revelation, I believe that, listen, we are in a day and age where the Antichrist has already been born. I believe he is among us. And I can prove it, I believe, from the book of Revelation and also from Ezekiel. I believe he's among us. We don't know who he is. But he's already in some type of position to where he's getting ready to elevate himself. Because guess what? Young people, when we leave his place, he will rear his ugly head and he will begin to set up his monarch. He will begin to set up his rule and reign and he's going to sign a peace treaty with Israel and for three and a half years, they're going to think everything's fine and then guess what? Just like Adolf Hitler, he's going to march right back through and break every promise, set himself up in the temple of God that he is God and everybody will have to worship him or lose their head. I'm going to tell you something. In the day that that takes place, 
You're going to be in heaven thanking God that you, you trusted Him while you were here on the earth. And young people, this is not a game. This is not, listen, this ain't, this ain't charades. This is the truth. Jesus said, listen, I'm getting ready to tell you what the sign of my coming in the end of the world will be. I want you to look at chapter number 24, look at verse number 5. It says, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Can I say this, young people? There's going to be deception. Listen, deception unparalleled to anything we've ever seen. Do you know there is a guy right now in Mexico, I believe in Mexico or somewhere in South America, whose name is Jose de Jesus. He has literally got a following of a, over a million people who have literally lifted him up because he said that he's Jesus Christ. Right now, right now, this guy is living and breathing in, in one of the Latin American countries and he has literally lifted himself up and said, I am Jesus Christ. And I watched an interview with him, and I'm not trying to be critical or say, you know, because somebody does something outwardly, that doesn't mean that they're who they say they are. But let me tell you something. It goes cross-grain and flies in the face of who my Savior is. This guy got on TV and gave a speech while he's got a martini in one hand and a great big cigar in the next. And he said, I am Jesus. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Jesus just wasn't a teacher. Jesus wasn't a rabbi. Jesus was God and is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God. Jesus said before Abraham was. He looked at the Pharisees and said, You want to know who I am? He said before Abraham was, I am. Young people, let me ask you something. Who do you believe Jesus is? Because that's going to matter supremely to your eternal destiny of who Jesus is. Well, that, that same one who said, I am, said this, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. That great deceiver. Say, preacher, man, how, how, do you, how, how do you get all of this stuff about the Antichrist? I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 13. I want to show you something. Not a mystical book. I want to show you something. Revelation chapter number 13. By the way, I'm not trying to... To use scare tactics, but listen, if you believe the if listen, if you don't believe Jesus Christ, you will believe the Antichrist. Did you hear me? If you don't believe Jesus Christ, you will believe the Antichrist. It says that strong delusion shall be given, that man will believe a lie. And you know what, young people? Why do we, why do we kind of shrug off? I've had people look at me and say, you know what, preacher, I know what you're saying. And it's a, listen, it sounds great, and, it, and it probably might even be true. You know, I love these people that say, you know what, I've, I've got it all figured out. You know, I love, love talking to an atheist. You know, an atheist. They think, they think that they, you know, got it all figured out, and they're bigger than God, and they are their own God. By the way, if you're going to determine right and wrong, don't you have to have a standard? You have to have some kind of barometer to, 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 to measure right and wrong. Well, if you don't believe in God, guess who the... Listen, guess what the measuring tape is? The measuring tape's you. Well, I know my Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end are of the ways of death. Can I say this? You talk to an atheist. I love it. We, I remember I, we, used to go, we used to go to the Fox and Goose a lot when I came the first time. It's a little place down here in Birmingham. Birmingham. Where is it? Over in Erdington? No. 
Ward, it's just down here, yeah. And, and we used to go down there, and, and because when I came, that was when the, the time that they go down to Fox and Goose. Well, I remember running in these two young lads, and they looked at me, and I asked them, I said, can I share something with you? I gave them this gospel tract. They looked at me, and they went, I don't even believe in God. I said, oh, really? I said, why do you, do you not believe God exists? No. Well, how'd you get here? And then they started going into the dissertation about liking beetles and all this other man. I'm like, whoa. Hey, okay, whatever. Um, glad I didn't come from a cesspool. <laughs> Amen? I came from God. God created me. Well, you know what, folks? I looked at these two young men, and one of them said this. He said, I don't believe God even exists. I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, do you know everything that's to be known? Well, of course he had to answer the question. Honestly, say no. I don't, how can anybody know everything? You can't know everything. So he said, of course I don't know everything that can be known. I said, well, let's, hype, let's speak hypothetically. If you don't know everything, what if you knew half of everything that could be known? He said, okay. I said, do you believe God could exist in a half you don't know about? <laughs> uh, now I really made him mad. But guess what? He just went from an atheist to an agnostic in 37 seconds. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Is ever, have, have you ever made a mistake? You ever been wrong? I've talked to people who have actually said this on the street. I ain't never made a mistake. Never made a mistake. Never made a mistake. Never made a mistake. <laughs> you don't ask a married man that because all you got to... <laughs> huh, Tyler? <laughs> You ask a married man if he's ever made a mistake and he says no, all you got to do is look at his wife and ask her and she'll say, yeah, he's made a lot of mistakes. Huh? <laughs> Amen. Now all these young single guys are going, I don't know if I want to do that or not. <laughs> ask a guy one time, I said, you ever made a mistake? He said, no. I said, let me ask you a question. Do this for me. I said, uh, spell stop. S-T-O-P. Spell stop. S-T-O-P. I had him do it five times. Spell stop. S-T-O-P. Spell stop. S-T-O-P. What do you do at the green light? He, he said stop. I said, no, you don't. You go. <laughs> now, here's a guy that said he ain't never made a mistake, but all I did was ask him a simple question. What do you do at a green light? He said stop. <laughs> Listen, young people, we make mistakes, don't we? Worst mistake you'd ever make in your life is what you do with Christ. Pontius Pilate looked at him and said, what shall I do with this man which is called Christ? That's a great question, isn't it? What shall I do with this man which is called Christ? And I hope to, listen, I hope this weekend if you're here and you're not sure, or maybe, listen, listen, maybe you have fallen away a little bit in your love for Christ. Can I ask you something? Don't be like that and wash your hands in the basin. Say, I'm done. Young man, I can remember almost seven years ago, where you sat, sat a young lady on a Sunday morning. I got done preaching. We all went upstairs to eat. I remember distinctly she was sitting right where you were, sir. And she sat here while everybody else went up. I looked up by in the back door. She was weeping by herself. I went up behind her and I said, young lady, can I pray with you? What's wrong? She said, I trusted Christ about two years ago. And she said, I don't have any family that love God. I don't have any friends at uni that love God. And she said, I don't know how much longer I can do this by myself. That's when I began to realize how hard it was for young people to live in this country. Because you know what? We don't, 
I don't think we really understand in America that concept because you know what? A lot of kids in the United States have Christian friends. They go to Christian college. They got Christian cars. They got Christian homes. They got Christian carpet. They got a Christian dog. We got a Christian plumber. There's a Christian electrician. I've said this before, and I mean this. The word Christian is never used in the Bible as an adjective. It's always used as a subject. It's a noun. A Christian is a person. It's a terrible adjective, but it's a great subject. Why do you have to feel like you've got to tell somebody, I'm a Christian artist? Why do you got to tell somebody, I'm a... Why don't you just say, praise God, I'm a Christian? I'm just a Christian. Can I say this? In the days of Antioch, that was not a term of endearment. That was, that was a ridiculed term. But yet, you know what it didn't do? Just because it was a term of, of, of ridicule did not make them say, well, I can't be one because everybody's going to pick on me and everybody's going to make fun of me. No. They gutted it out. They had some fortitude. Now, young people, I'm going to tell you something. You say, preacher, how do you know? How do you know that this man, which is called the deceiver, the lawless one, what, what is his characteristics? What is his conduct? What is his craft going to be? Well, I'm glad you asked me. We're going to look at it in just a little bit. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll look at it in just a minute in the next session. You'll have some time to go through and ask some questions in your uh, group session. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and when we get back, after your uh, time with each other and your groups, uh, we'll look at Revelation chapter 13 and 17, and we'll look at what this deceiver is going to do during the tribulation period, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you've given us this weekend. Thank you for the good weather. Thank you that it's not freezing. Uh, Lord, thank you so much. Uh, I just want to personally thank you for that. I ask you, Lord, to give us a great time in our groups and uh, help us to be refreshed. I know people are weary and tired, but Lord, give us strength that can only be endued from on high. And Lord, thank you, Lord, that you said, uh, you said in your word, let no man deceive you by any means. And so I pray that you'd help us to heed uh, what we have heard and uh, be willing to live differently in light of what we've heard. And we'll love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <music> 